Hello, and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori. And, and we have a, have a great topic in our environment series for you today. Yes, this time we're going to be looking at forests and woodlands. Uh, first, we do have a bit of news. Only a little bit. Uh, Emerald Legacy's second story, um, and Empress's Legacy is out now on emeraldlegacy.org. Uh, for those who aren't in the LCG, the Emerald Legacy is kind of the fan continuation of the the storyline until such time as SFG or um, Asmodee decides to do something like that. So if you want to read more more fiction, it's it's there, I guess. <laughs> But as we said, this weekly we are looking at the environment of forests and woodlands and the sorts of things you can find there and the sorts of adventures that can take place there. So forests and mountains are often linked together because forests are going to grow where there's plenty of water and at a limited elevation there's a a point beyond which a tree cannot grow, which is the tree line. But they also tend to happen where people aren't growing things, so they're not cutting down the forests to grow their crops. So uh, you look at places where it's either too high up or the ground is too rocky for agriculture, like as opposed to the foothills. So you tend to get your big forests somewhat up, up in the mountains. So there's a bit of a link there, but forests can show up in other places assuming people aren't just going to take over that land for agriculture. Right. And this is kind of complicated. This is one of the complications of the geology of Rokugan being not the same as the geology of Japan, because Japan has a lot of um, its culture, its history, uh, everything linked to the fact that it's really, really rugged landscape. Yep. 75% 75% mountain. Right. It's 75% mountain. And because of that, um, there's a lot of forests. These aren't super high mountains either. And these are wet mountains. And this is great forest terrain. And and agriculture came late to the islands of Japan compared to China or Europe. Um, it came late to, to Japan. So through much of Japanese history, the islands were very heavily forested. Yeah. Just because of the geology and because of when uh, agriculture came. In L5R, Rokugan isn't configured the same way. And there's going to be a lot less forest because there's like big grasslands in it and it's a broad, broader continent. It's not that as mountainous there are mountains but it's not as mountainous yeah it's, it's kind of it might have as many mountains but it's spread out over a bigger area even if it even if it has the same mountain mountains there's just more space that isn't mountain yeah right so um things things are different between rokugan and um japan just based on the topography. And I think that's one of the odd odd things about trying to say, well, Rokugan is just fantasy Japan. It's like, well, it, it can't really 100% be just fantasy Japan because fantasy Japan took place in a very specific geological environment. Although, although I, I note that absolutely no one ever says D&D lands can't be fantasy Europe because they aren't in the same environment as fantasy Europe. Well, nobody ever says that D&D lands are fantasy Europe either. A lot of people, that's what they're mostly based off. Well, it, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's the aesthetic that gets used. It's more like trying to say that D&D is fantasy England, specifically England, specifically, but it's got stuff from, you know, D&D's not fantasy England. It's got stuff from different time periods. It's got stuff from different countries in Europe. 
and it's all kind of smooshed in there and nobody cares that much that it's not purely fantasy England, but people care more that it's not purely fantasy Japan. And we kind of, there are, there are little problems with that having to do with like just even the setup of the, the geology of how it, how it works. But anyway, we're talking about forests. So let's talk about forests. Um, Going back to our textbook, so yeah, this is this is back in back in school. You learn about different kinds of forests, and some of these forests uh, would be applicable to some place like um, Rokugan. So I thought we'd talk about the kinds of forests that there are. Tropical deciduous forests you would find in the Mantis Islands, potentially in the southern Shinomen. Or in the Ivory Kingdoms, if you ever get to the other side. And in, in real life, tropical deciduous forest is found in southern China. It's found in Burma and the Philippines, Thailand, and India. In tropical deciduous forest, the trees do shed their leaves in winter. Um, the average temperature is between like 25 and 32 degrees Celsius. So, you know, pretty up there. That's, you know, 80, 90 plus degrees Fahrenheit. And it never freezes. So this is tropical. There's lots of rain. The rain primarily comes during the rainy seasons. And we do know that Rokugan has a monsoon, has a rainy season, just like Japan and China do. And this pattern of growth, it encourages really robust, really strong, uh, luxurious trees. So the trees you get in forests that are tropical deciduous forests would be broad-leaved hardwoods. They're so strong and they're so dense that they don't float. Um, and also lots of climbers and vines, really thick undergrowth, uh, mangroves. Uh, does have bamboo, but all different species. And the tree types are things like mahogany and teak and ironwood and acacia. These are really valuable woods. So these woods would show up in Rokugan. Uh, in crablands, these probably would have already been um, cut down, except for maybe some very haunted pockets that nobody wants to cut down. It's most, yeah, it, it sounds like it's mostly going to be south of Rokugan in like the Islands of Spice and Silk and further south. Maybe in the Shinomen Moray, because the Shinomen Moray breaks a lot of rules because it makes its own rules. And so these, so those kinds of woods are probably going to be considered exotic and valuable. Yes. Because, of, yeah, they're unlikely to be common. Right. So these would be the kind of woods that if someone found some in the Shinoman forest, uh, people would want to send, force people to go there to go cut them down because they are that rare, that, that valuable. And because... It is something that could have grown in Rokugan in the past. It's not like they wouldn't know what these woods are. It's just that they can't access them, which makes it even more more in demand. Makes them valuable, yeah. Right, and things made from these woods would be things that would last hundreds of years or thousands of years, even a thousand years. It's like very valuable, valuable stuff. So if you head slightly further north, so we're getting into... Craplands, southern crane lands, that kind of area. This is more your temperate, broadleaf, deciduous, and mixed forest. So real life, this would be South China, South Japan, that kind of area. You still have the heavy rainfall quite often, warm temperatures, never or very rarely freezing, but not as much as your tropical deciduous. So you still get the monsoon seasons, especially on the coast. Uh, monsoon is largely just after summer, if I remember right. It starts in June. Yeah, yeah. The the Tsuyu, the the rain season. Um, eucalyptus and cedar, uh, evergreens that can sustain and and last those with with that kind of rainfall. So, not quite your ex extremely heavy, strong hardwoods, but still pretty tough. Uh, but also deciduous, uh, also cedar and such, and bamboo forests as well. So that's that's more. That's probably the, the south of Rokugan is going to be more like that. That's your most common forest you're going to find. 
And these these forests tend to be um, mono uh, monocultures uh, where they appear. They tend to be like one big bamboo forest or one big eucalyptus forest, and it's just one kind of tree in it. Um, it's it's sort of, and they tend to be evergreens. So just a little different than the tropical hardwoods we were talking about before. Uh, as you go into cooler temperatures, you get warm, temperate, broadleaf deciduous forest. Uh, in Rokugan, this kind of forest would be um, in the Kitsune Mori. This would be the northern Shinoman, even though that's got magic. This would be all of the major forests in Crane Lands, uh, what forests there are in Scorpion Lion Lands, um, all these temperate, temperate forests. In real life, this is northwest China, this is Korea, this is the bulk of Japan. In these environments, the temperatures uh, at over 40 degrees Fahrenheit, over 6 degrees Celsius, at least six months of the year, if not most of the year. And in this environment, you have trees that do shed their uh, leaves each year. They don't have a layered canopy. Uh, it's just crowded forest. And this is things like elm, beech, maple, walnut, oak, and also different species, but definitely still um, bamboo forests. Um, there's little undergrowth in these forests, relatively speaking. All of these trees that I talked about, elm, beech, maple, walnut, oak, these are really good for construction, and these are really good for making all kinds of goods. So so this is your major industrial use forest. This is the kind of thing that we would see a lot of demand for. And we'll talk about some of the things you might see being used with this wood later on. <laughs> and finally, as you go really up into the north, into Isawamori, the major forests in Phoenix, Dragon, and Unicorn Lands, with the equivalent of northern Japan, northern China, the Himalayas, that kind of thing, you get coniferous forests. So low winter temperatures, which go below freezing, so about negative 10 degrees, where you expect snowfall. Rain on its own is, is tends to be lighter, long winters, short summers. There you're getting your evergreens, so pine, fir, birch, uh, willow as well. So most, most common you've got cone-shaped trees with those tough leathery leaves or uh, needles almost. These tend to be soft woods, which is good for paper. These woods also float and often can exude stuff that's used for pitch, which is very useful in a bunch of situations, including uh, sealing ships so that they don't leak. So that's a different set of woods which are used for a different set of purposes. The other, the other way, because we're talking about, we're going from south to north, but you also get some of these changes as you go up in ele elevation. Exactly. So even in temperate lands, like the scorpion lands that border the spine of the world, mountains, as you go up, you might start getting closer to the northern forests. They're going to seem more like that. So you're going to get more evergreens, even though you're in kind of a temperate, yeah. So there's, there's north to south and there's down to up. <laughs> Yeah. Now, Rokugan's been around for a while as an empire, and it was inhabited by people prior to the falling of the Kami as well. The lands of the different clans have different amounts and kinds of forests. The crane have quite domesticated forests, is the best way to put it. Because they, you know, and this is from the Emerald Empire book, um, because they really care about the aesthetics, keeping the natural aesthetics. One of the things that happens is that, that you are very careful about how you lumber and when you replant and that sort of thing, because you want it to stay pretty. <laughs> uh, and, uh, that means that the crane have practiced careful lumbering and replanting for, for many generations. Uh, and they do have a couple of places where they have preserved virgin forests. However, 
they have these these forests because basically they've been replanting throughout the history of the empire. Uh, it's actually a thing that that we often think of these untamed wildernesses that existed in medieval times, but often, in fact, almost all the time, they were actually managed by people. They weren't necessarily cutting them down and then making them into farms and living there, but they were using them. They were cutting down trees. They were gathering firewood. They were having their animals forage. They themselves were picking nuts and berries and things. So they were actually managed spaces, even though they, if you went there now, you'd say, oh, that's clearly wild and untamed. But no, no, actually it was quite domesticated. So I think that is really very much the crane way that almost everywhere that looks natural and untamed and wild is actually very carefully managed when you start really looking into it. But it wouldn't necessarily look like that on the surface. I think that's a, a, that feels very crane. Yeah, they do have a couple of um, noted forests uh, that are larger. So said this is quite quite numerous in the Cranelands. Um, the Asari Mori is the forest around Shizukatoshi. Um, that's the Crane uh, Courtier School, as it were, where the Doji diplomats are trained. Um, and that's a very managed forest, but it's kept very dense to keep all of their their doji stuff private. The Needle Eye Forest is a small forest near Odesan Uchi. And this one is kept as sacred virgin forest because it has been declared holy to the Hante Emperor um, after a story where the emperor chased a white stag into the forest and uh, came out again later. So, And then there's the Akagi Forest, which is one of these... Uh, legendary uh, bamboo forests where it's just straight bamboo and uh, you can go and, and see the Kikita duelists um, dashing through the treetops and hacking down bamboo with their swords as they meditate or practice and do dueling. Cool anime dueling things. The crab and the scorpion, meanwhile, have relatively fewer forests uh, except for the very unsafe Shunamen Forest, which honestly is not really part of any clan's lands, except nominally. They may say, oh, we totally own that. Do you actually go there? Oh, no, but we we own it, definitely. Now, <laughs> you know, if you're looking at the geology of crab and scorpion forests, uh, they definitely should have a bunch of it. So this is, but the book says that they don't. So it seems likely what happened is they had to use it. They they cut it down, and once once you really cut it down, it's gone. There's not a lot you can do. Yeah, I suspect the scorpion have more forests on the sides of the spine of the world mountains. It's just no one counts those. I suspect there's a certain amount of the people writing down Emerald Empire didn't count those. <laughs> whether they they, they may not have access to them. It, it depends on, on how accessible they are because the spine of the worlds apparently are quite pointy. So they may be there, but you no, know, we can't get to them. But, you know, but they, they seem to have fewer timber resources. I had always put the, the scorpion as having a lot of, um, you know, marshy villages mm. on, on the water. Um, or in their wetlands, which can often have kind of swampy growth um, growth forests in them. But those forests are not very good for lumber. Um, yes. So that could also be it. They could have trees. They just, the ground is too wet. You can't actually lumber out those forests no. at all. No. And, and you have to you know, get there by boat anyway. It makes it hard to... Hard taxes, so so maybe they get have in or get out like yeah. that. Yeah, and and there may well be woodlands because there's a difference between woodlands and forest. There's going to be there could be areas that that do have trees, and if you don't know the difference, you go, well, that's clearly that's clearly one of those things. And no, no, this is a small stand of trees that it's not worth cutting down, or that particular one is holy, or you know, we manage that one bit because we've cut down everywhere else. 
like that sort of thing. But they don't they don't have the big forests like oh sorry Mori. Uh, uh, technically, they have the Shinomen, but only technically. <laughs> um, it mostly serves to drive them to need to use the Shinomen if they if the circumstance becomes dire, and that's the storytelling hook: is that if if things are such that the crab need to make a bunch more trebuchets, it's into the forest Shinomen, and they have to go because yeah. they used all the other yeah. forests, or or trading, which is its own set of plot hooks. Right. The lion have the extremely dwindled uh, heart of vigilance forest. So uh, in in the book, it says that the lion have basically used to have a bunch more forests. They have consumed the forests, and now they only have one left. And they are only just beginning to <clears throat> restore those those lands, restore their forest. So they are now very defensive of their remaining remaining heart of vigilance forest because um, they're trying to replant it, and they haven't done that for a long time. I mean, this is something that the lion may well have done because they, they do have a tendency to like the open fields more than everybody else. So they can do all their, their war games. They probably do have some stuff, again, because they have the spine of the world mountains. But again, those those may not be all that accessible. And so I can absolutely see them kind of prioritizing the huge populations because they they want a lot of land to feed their matsu, and then and they do tend to kind of war. Is this good for war? And they don't really care. And then it's only now that it's kind of going. Uh, actually, actually, this is beginning to be a problem. Um, is this now a war resource? Yes. Okay. Now it's important. So. Again, moving north, we have the unicorn who have the dragon heart for us, which I'm absolutely certain the dragon are kind of going, dragon heart? Should that be? Uh, Anyway, they have the dragon heart for us. (laughs) Uh, The unicorn lands are a bit strange because they also have the nice big open areas. um, And sometimes I wonder if their lands are slightly bigger than actually fit on the map. (laughs) But they have the dragon heart for us. The Dragonheart Forest they, is is one that is pretty primordial, um, and that is because the unicorn are keep it really really sacred. They do have it has a lot of exotic kinds of woods in it, uh, and we'll talk about what they do with with that. But they are very very they have been very careful about managing that forest. Maybe because in their travels they have seen what happens when you remove all the forests and uh, uh, and didn't want that to happen when they came back to to Rokugan and they 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 strongly protect this one spiritually with lots of um, keeping people out of it and that sort of thing. I wonder how it managed to survive eight hundred years of the lion or six hundred years, however long it was, of the lion holding those lands it might well be that the lion deforestation kind of happened after they got chucked out of unicorn lands and they suddenly had a bigger population that they needed to feed off a smaller set of land so they started clearing a whole bunch of places either that or they cleared a they cleared a lot of forest and that's part of what remained that's that's yes that's where they got to managed to get to it um the phoenix have the Asawa Mori, and so the Asawa Mori is a very uh, well-known, very well-managed forest with with dark, scary bits. But it is very, very magical, as all things, all things Phoenix must be. Um, and- absolutely, does not have a secret magic city in it. I don't know why you'd think that. No, absolutely, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there. Their special spell scrolls have to come from the paper from the Asawa Mori. And of course, there's the dragons, and they have their mountains, and they have these mountain forests uh, as well, though they start going up in elevation pretty fast, and it gets sometimes too rugged even for the trees. You get some glaciers going, and that sort of thing. It's a little hard for the trees to take foothold there. And of course, there are a couple of minor clans who are well known for their forests, 
The Fox clan had the Kitsune Mori, which is very conveniently named for them. You're not, you're not going to mistake where they're from. Which forest are the, are the Kitsune from? Oh, handily, they're from the Kitsune Mori. Meanwhile, the Deer clan are in the Aokami Mori, and they both have their major settlements in the forests, and they both gamble caref- care- carefree through the forests uh, in slightly <laughs> different ways. So, uh, they're, but they're they're both known for their their forest forested lands. Yes. So, talking about these forests and, and the forest lands, it's really important to understand that forests in Rokugan are sacred, uh, very sacred. Um, the older the trees, the more powerful the kami in the trees. And you get a forest with a bunch of really old trees, and those are, each of them, very powerful kami who are looking down at you and judging everything you do. Or even just sitting there saying, leave me alone, because they all have different personalities. But the main thing is, they are alive, there are beings, there are household gods, basically, little gods in every tree. So you need to respect them. Yes, and it, it it can range from certain trees are just so sacred that they are worshipped and you would see them with prayer banners around them, that white straw rope with the paper hangers surrounding them and, and so on. But even other trees, even the ones that are worth even the ones that are to be cut down, you would pray to the spirit of that tree before cutting it down. And so that's, you know, that's, that's the, you know, that's the kind of variance. That's what you get. So, yeah, the trees are considered to be sacred and important. Yes. So even though you might be a, a human living in the forest, maybe your job is a woodcutter, you are living in someone else's territory. All right. You aren't living in your lands or your territory or human lands. You are living in the territory of the spirits. You are living in the territory of the kami. You know, it's just not, it's not just like, hi, this is my bit of forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the forests are considered often to have portals to Senkyo in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Senkyo is the realm that contains both Chu. Uh, you know, the Chukshudomo, Dono, and um, Chukshudo, sorry, and uh, Sekaku, uh, the realm of animals. So it is possible to wander deep into a forest and go through an archway and find yourself in a spirit realm. Yeah. They just, and and not necessarily even know you left one realm to go to the other. Yes. So this is very much... uh, in, in keeping with the the whole forest is not human territory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that happened. And there are forests that are particularly dangerous and particularly traumatized is a way of putting it, haunted. So Mori Kuroi in Isawamori, so the, the, literally the black forest, Traitor's Grove, although that's haunted for a completely different reason. So they, those are particularly well known to being haunted. And there are areas of the Shinomen Mori that are so haunted that they don't have names because no one's ever come back. <laughs> right. So this is would be frightening even to work there, or at least it would take it would take a good reason. You know, this is not living in working in the forests in general are not something that your average run of the mill normal person mm. want to do, right? Yeah. So the people who work there, like woodcutters or, you know, charcoal burners or herb gatherers or everything else, are often people who have been driven away from the farming villages or are outside the farming villages for some reason. Um, setting up a homestead in a forest is a great place for a ronin to have set up his family or her family, because uh, you can make a living, you can 
eat. You can you can survive well in a forest, but it does take you know courage and potentially weapons in order to deal with what problems the forest might present you. Yep, yep. Um, Burakuman, who uh, you know have an independent streak, would make their living up in the mountains or in the in the forests because. They've been kind of pushed from the rest of society. And, and Burakuman, as the term we use it, means hamlet people or yeah. you know, people who live in these really tiny, isolated settlements as opposed to the big, more structured village. That's, that's what the term comes from. And these are, are people who are living on the outskirts of society, but not like in the slums, but out because they're out in the forests doing hamlet things <laughs> if you're going into an actual forest village they tend not to be that big apart from nothing else it's kind of difficult to feed a whole bunch of people in a forest like like a very dense population so you tend to see more individual households ronin or burakamin or Heyman crafters who work in wood or similar products so they'll most likely be working from the forest and, and it, not just in the forest, but actually, you know, using the forest to make their living. They can often be isolated from the major villages because living in the forest is quite dangerous. And so, you know, the, the main, the main villages, they don't want to go there. So there can be a bit of isolation, but you can still get small villages in clearings or on the outskirts of your forests. They will not have a, a samurai clan presence they 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 could have a, a ronin presence most of the time just because they are too small in general for that you're, you're not really going to commonly have a samurai living there even in peacetime like you would in a farming village um they are as likely to have a village monk though and they may often seek out monks especially if they have to you know appease the spirits or you know ask the spirits for permission to cut a tree or things like that. So, so, so monks would be common, but clan samurai would not. You, you're going to get monks who are drawn to the isolation and drawn to the preponderance of nature. So it's it's very thing to go, uh, likely to happen. They really would like a monk, and the monk is very likely to want to be somewhere nearby in that area. Because of this, not having the samurai, and because of their isolation, and because they can easily vanish into the forest if if any human-style danger comes close, um, these villages, these forest villages, are, are isolated from the tides of war. They can easily go without even knowing that a war is going on in the flatlands around them uh, and just be isolated from all the news of that and nothing's gonna nothing's gonna really bother them unless you know some specific strange action happens um it's not worth it to go after them (laughs) no no it it, you got to get through all these trees it's very difficult to move your troops through and and so on and so on and in the end it's just a small woodcutter village who cares what you are more likely to, what you can find there are bandit villages because the exact same thing, like you can vanish into the forest if need be. But in places that are close enough to main roads or other habitation, that's a reasonable place for bandits to hang out because it's far enough away that it's difficult for law enforcement to come get you, but close enough that there are people who you can prey on. So the bandit village in the forest is a pretty common staple. Mm-hmm. Of stories, yeah, and the villages have to be fairly far apart because you don't want the land to get stripped, and you don't want to cut too many trees. So, so otherwise, it won't be a forest for for long. But a lot of these forests do have industries in them. There are people making their livelihoods off of them, and. In my opinion, one of the most important industries and one that doesn't get very much credit um, in L5R or anything else is the industry of making charcoal. Because all those fancy swords, all that armor, all those homes heated, 
all their cooking. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tea ceremonies all rely on the creation of charcoal. It's really important. <laughs> yep, it's a it's a it's a whole industry, and then it's a complicated process for making it that is quite labor intensive and le- needs a lot of skill. And it needs uh, all the charcoal, primarily from Japan. Mm. Uh, that's that was used was done in oak because uh, uh, oak has uh, a lot of uh, good properties for for making charcoal. Mm-hmm. So I thought we'd talk about charcoal making. <laughs> There's actually two basic types, which gets called black charcoal and white charcoal. Black is softer, burns hotter. And the way you make that is carbonizing the wood, essentially burning it in a sealed hot kiln until the burning fades away, which sounds very similar to the way uh, Western charcoal, which is a, a process I'm familiar with, where you, 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 put, you stack your wood and then you, then you cover it in earth and you burn it very slowly, very carefully over a period of days. So that's used for smelting and smithing because that's how you can get the very high temperatures. You get much higher temperatures than you can with just wood. So it's very important if you're going to be doing anything with metal. And there's a specific sort used for tea ceremonies, so tea charcoal, essentially, which has a very particular pattern, a chrysanthemum-type pattern, from the way the wood is cut. So that is a special and no doubt quite valuable type of black charcoal. Mm, Really valuable. However, the more... Mm. Valuable charcoal is white charcoal. Uh, white charcoal is also called bichatan, and it is harder, and it burns for an extremely long period of time. Um, to make this, you have to char the wood slowly, and then you seal it in a kiln, and you heat it to red hot. So the wood is actually red hot, and then you douse it in earth, ash, and sand, and that dousing it in the ash is what makes it white. This kind of charcoal ends up being so hard that if you um, tap it, it sounds like porcelain. Oh. Okay. Um, This is the kind that is used for cooking and heating. This would be samurai homes, nice, nice homes, because it burns very slowly. It gives off a lot of heat, and it doesn't have smoke filling the house. So this is extremely valuable. So valuable, it used to be traded in Japan and various parts of the Edo period as as currency. And both the black charcoal and the white charcoal, as I said, would be made of solid oak. The charcoal cutters cut their wood in the forest, and because it's lighter and easier and more economical to burn the wood there. (laughs) They would build their kilns out of earth or clay right there in the forest. And then, uh, you know, they have this red clay that's in the riverbanks that is, uh, is used to make these kilns. Uh, and that's where they would roast the wood and, and, uh, carbonize it to create the charcoal. And then it is that charcoal that would be sold. So, I think it's really cool stuff, and uh, every household, every samurai household is going to be buying this stuff, and it's valuable. Uh, Another very common use for forests, for woods, was ink making, which is another one that is very important that comes up a lot. Some ink was made with lamp oil, because essentially all the ink at the time was made with some kind of soot and glue, usually animal glue of some kind. So... One sort was made with lamp oil. It tended to be reddish black, but the bluish black ink was made by burning pine. And so you'd, you'd have a special, essentially a furnace set up where you'd be burning pine wood and you'd be gathering the soot and then you'd be mixing it and that's how you make your ink. So mm-hmm. use of specific pine woods would give you specific types of ink and you could also mix it with other pigments, so... <laughs> that's a, another very common element that's used well yeah yeah they, they could literally be important ink made from these important trees in the same way that there is important paper 
made from these other important trees. So yes, that could be very, that could be absolutely a thing you could make a case for. Another important role in uh, utilizing the forest is is bamboo cutters. Bamboo was used for construction, it's used for fiber, it was used for making musical instruments, tools, utensils. You gathered bamboo shoots for food. Um, and those that's all done off of basically wild bamboo. There are so many stories about bamboo cutters <laughs> in Japan. It's like... Yep, so much, yeah. It's like bakers. <laughs> bakers and blacksmiths in, in Europe. Yeah, bamboo cutters and woodcutters, they're just really iconic. Uh, yeah, talking about woodcutters, one of the very iconic images that shows up a lot in samurai dramas, if, say, your, your samurai is wandering through a road through the forest or anything like that, is the woodcutter with the bundle of sticks <laughs> on their back. That is super, super, super common. Uh, I think it's the bamboo cutters as well, but that that guy... With that, with that, with a the kind of a framework on his back and a whole bunch of wood stacked on there, super iconic. You just see them an awful lot, um, and and like 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 I'm saying, between of course the woodcutter and the bamboo cutter, pretty much everyone who discovers a magical baby <laughs> is either a bamboo cutter or a woodcutter. <laughs> maybe, maybe there are other professions, but those two are really common. In addition to woodcutters, the you know, there are the things that people would use the wood for. Um, and it is often convenient to be doing these crafts right next to where the trees are, especially if you need to use fire in order to um, finish them. And one of the important, really important jobs that uh, would, would happen uh, in the forest uh, and does require a fire to assist in it and requires wood to make it, is a barrel maker. And people making barrels are doing a really important job. Now, rice can be kind of put into a cloth barrel, just cloth with resin sort of thing that, that we we see the traditional um, koku barrel of rice, if you will. Yeah, the, those those bundles and bushels. It's very. It's a very common kind of you, you see in a kind of a cloth thing, but yeah, the the barrel is also very common. But a barrel is really really necessary for for food for for transport. You know, for for making sake, just all kinds of <laughs> all kinds of things like that. So so a barrel maker uh, and, and a barrel maker would also be somebody who would like potentially be crafting things like masa. Uh, wood joining, all kinds of all kinds of stuff. So that all needs to be done right there near the forest, and it's a highly considered a highly skilled um, kind of work. You know, to make a good barrel is is high craftsmanship. So um, also a high craftsmanship would be those making yosegi. Absolutely. Yosegi is was noted in the books as uh, being a craft from the Dragonheart Forest in Unicorn Lands. It is making very, very fine um, crafts using all different kinds of woods with different colors, all kind of glued next to each other and shaped to make patterns on it. So this is a very fine, delicate kind of craftsmanship like you would use for a jewelry box or um, very fine work like that. Yep, yep. It's a really... It's a really fascinating thing. Essentially, you, you put together wood in all sorts of different patterns, and then you get your best, sharpest wood plane, and you take single shavings, preserving the pattern, and then you can laminate that on top of things as a decorative element. It's really, and I think there's other ways of doing it as well, but that's one way I've seen doing it. It looks, it looks really cool. And then you get the people who don't necessarily cut wood or use cut wood from the forest, but they are still using the forest to make their living. So you get people who, for example, gather mushrooms. Mushrooms were very rarely grown like in farms, like agriculturally. Instead, you would have people going through the forest looking for mushrooms, having the knowledge of which mushrooms are edible and which ones will just kill you, and picking the correct mushrooms large enough 
in large enough quantities that they can be sold for food. In much the same way, you have people gathering medicinal plants. So there is a, a hugely wide range of plants that are used in medicine, and an awful lot of them grow in forests. I mean, you'll, you'll also get the, like the river plants and, and the lakeside plants and things. But forest is going to be a really big source of medicinal plants, including types of bark, including types of mushroom, but climbing plants and undergrowth plants and specific nuts, specific berries, specific leaves. That's uh, uh, There's going to be a wide range that your medicine gatherer is going to be looking for and processing. Another kind of industry in forests would be basically supporting hunting. So for a lot of forests, actually hunting the animals would be forbidden for like the Burkuman who would be living on as outskirts on there. Both because, uh, you know, they're not allowed to carry weapons, <laughs> but also because uh, some of the prey animals that were hunted, um, like bears and boars, are really quite dangerous. And so a lot of that hunting would actually be done by samurai, potentially ronin, uh, ronin hunters. Uh, deer seem obvious and deer could be be hunted in some parts by Hama, but in Japan, deer were sacred. And so you would have much less hunting of deer than you would actually think for like a, a European forest. Yeah, yeah. And and similar to the situation in yeah, your, your European forest of legend, sometimes hunting wasn't allowed because that was the samurai pastime in some places. So don't hunt those animals because we want to, because we, we have fun doing that. And we don't care that, you know, you'd be doing it for survival reasons. We care that it's fun. So that said, even if the hunting is done by samurai, uh, especially for animals like bears and boars, leather is used and it is you would basically get small villages of Burkuman whose job is to to support that hunting, uh, to find the prey, lead the samurai through the forest, uh, and then deal with, you know, the killed animals and preparing them and turning them into leather and, and otherwise, uh, you know, making them into a product then that the samurai could, could use. Uh, for boots and other, you know, saddles and, and those things, because handling unclean bodies, you know, dead bodies is is definitely an is not a samurai job, but uh, the samurai do use the end products of uh, of the processing. So the Burakuman villages would would make make that processing happen. Once it's been suitably processed, and they don't have to think about where it came from, it's all perfectly fine. So in your forest, if you're hunting, we're just talking about hunting. So what kind of animals would there be? The kind of the big ones that, you know, actually get stat blocks because they're terrifying would be your bear and your boar. Those are the big scary animals that, you know, you, you really, you would fight as opposed to just hunt. Deer are going to be quite common as well. There will also be wolves. An interesting thing is that wolves weren't considered the terrifying, almost demons of Europe, largely because there was less animal husbandry. Therefore, you didn't have to worry about wolves carrying off your flock. So wolves are actually quite well thought of. And uh, there, were, there weren't things like wolf hunts, I don't think. But, but there are going to be wolves. And if you're an adventurer, then, you know, wolves might come up to go with the, the deer. There'll also be fox, which are very common. They uh, could also be magical, but we'll get on to magical beasties a little later on. And of course, you get a lot of smaller creatures. You get mink, you get squirrel, you get birds. You'll get monkeys. We keep forgetting about monkeys in Rokugan and Japan. But monkeys were quite common. There are monkeys all over the place. In the northern mountains, they would often use 
natural hot springs. So you may come across forested areas with pools that are used by monkeys in much the same way that humans use onsen. But in your temperate, in your subtropical and your tropical, you're going to get monkeys, amongst other things. And uh, there is actually quite a lot of wildlife. You know, we're not even getting into insects and other exciting things you can tell your players that you are being eaten by. What, what do they eat when they don't get samurai to eat? That kind of thing. Uh, so those are all natural things we can encounter. But I think we will talk about uh, what what supernatural you can encounter in, in a forest and some other uh, game stuff next time. So we're going to look at uh, Rokugan and forests. So we talk about forests in general, and these are all things that can be useful in your games. But we're going to look specifically at the very Rokugani elements that you will find. I think we'll do that next time. But uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, I wanted to give a call out to our uh, affiliated actual play podcast, Fortune and Strife. As well as our friends at D20 Radio. Fortune and Strife just finished their season one finale. Just just broadcast that and are going into season two. Our content is funded by the Community Discord Patreon, which supports our editing costs as well as our website hosting. And on our website, you can find long-term information. You have summaries of our podcasts, great RPG tools, forums, and more. For our Patreons, we have special bonus content like Adventure Seeds, early access to our actual play podcasts, and more. Online, you can find us at courtgamespod.com, on Twitter at twitter.com slash courtgamespod, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash courtgames. But that's it for us. This is Kakita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And I have been Korva, and until we meet again, keep your jade handy.